Today I'm going to be uh, looking at Luke chapter 15. And I've titled today's message, Undignified. Uh, I, I shared this message or, or a version close to it in our Chantilly location on a Wednesday night a few months ago. And as I was praying about Father's Day, I, was, I, was, I couldn't get away from this idea of undignified. Um, and so that's what we're going to be looking at. And we're going to be looking at, like I said, Luke 15, which is a well-traveled uh, passage of Scripture. But it's my hope that God will open your your hearts to understand this passage with new perspective, with new fire, uh, with fresh welcoming of who God is and what he desires to be for us and do in our lives. If you're you're new in your walk with Christ and you don't even have a Bible, and and when I read this story here in a moment, if you have no idea uh, for the background and everything else, you actually might have a head start on the rest of us who have heard this story many times growing up in church. Because what we have a bad habit of doing is when we've been in church for a long time is we think we know the story. We think that we know what God's up to and we feel like, we wouldn't admit it out loud, but we're like, I got this. I'm familiar with the crucifixion. I got it. I'm good. We're not looking at the crucifixion today. That was just an example. Uh, But the Red Sea, for example, you know, you'd think uh, you'd be easy to be like, oh, I know this. And so you breeze through it and you just assume. But what we do when we do that is we shut off our hearts to receive what God wants to share with us with fresh perspective. And so um, if you've been walking with Jesus for a little while, open your ears. If you're new to the game, welcome. And this will be fun for all of us. Uh, just to give some context, we're looking at Luke chapter, chapter 15. I want to give you context to what's about to happen. Jesus is growing in fame, uh, and that's a good thing and a bad thing. Crowds are flocking to him for healing and for perspective and to hear his teaching uh, because they're desperate to hear the words that are on his lips. But he's also drawing a bit of a bad reputation with the religious elite because they're like, this guy is taking influence away from us. He's steering people in, in another direction. Uh, he was, it, they felt like there's a, pe- there's, there's a power grab coming and we need to be ready to make sure that we silence that so that we can stay uh, as, influential as, we, as, as influential as we can. Now, they weren't malicious in doing that. They really thought that they were preserving God's highest and best, some. I'm sure there was some malice, just like anywhere, you, you know, you've got a divide of people's hearts. So Jesus is preaching and teaching, but he's doing it with this authority that nobody else had because he's speaking from the scriptures. So everything, to the, everything on the left side of your Bible, the bigger part of your Bible on the left side, all the way up to Malachi is, is what Jesus was teaching from. And he was teaching with such great authority, people were blown away. Jesus was speaking with such great authority because it was all about him anyway. It was just his resume. He's like, trust me, I know what it means because I did it. I'm the one who caused this to happen. It was his CV. It was his resume. And so when he spoke about it, he spoke about it with not just the words that had been studied, but with the meaning and the purpose behind it and with knowledge of what was supposed to happen and what what is uh, planned to happen in the future as well. So he had great authority when he spoke that set him far away and apart from, from everyone else. At the top of chapter 15, we see that another crowd is gathering. This crowd has tax collectors and sinners. Now, tax collectors were were people who worked for the Roman government, and they had the responsibility of collecting taxes, like the IRS, grown, right? So they had the IRS, but they had the right or 
the permission to take additional money on top of the taxes that were owed for their own benefit. And so imagine the IRS guy calls you. He goes, well, the bill is 5000 but let's make it 7500 because kids got to eat, right? Right? Like, how awful would that be? So we had tax collectors and sinners. Any sinners or tax collectors in the room today? I didn't expect a lot of response. Uh, and then he had the Pharisees and the scribes on the other side. And so they're basically creating this contrast. So you've got the worst of the worst and the highest of the high in terms of religious influence in the same place. And he's like, all right, everybody, story time. Jesus sees this potential collapse going where, where those who were sinners and tax collectors were probably looking at the, the religious elite saying, oh, look at them all stuck up and all, all so inflated on themselves, so pompous, right? And then you've got the, the religious people looking and going, look at them, sinners, walking away from God, looking all messy, wearing flip-flops to church, you know, or whatever people are going to judge each other about. Build in your own judgments. <laughs> By the way, I don't mind flip-flops in church. It was just a thing. So we see this crowd gathering, and Jesus is about to blow both of their minds by preaching, by telling a story, by speaking a parable. It's a story that reveals a hidden spiritual truth. And so he tells them this story. And so we're going to read it. It's quite a bit of text. It'll be on the screen behind me. Uh, we're looking at Luke chapter 15. Are you ready? Verses 11 through 31. Somebody laughed. They're like, yeah, that is a lot. But it's worth it. So Jesus said to them, there was a man who had two sons and the younger of them said to the father, father, give me the share of property that's coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the, young, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey to a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine rose in the country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen, to the citizens of that country who sent him into his field to feed pigs. Which to a Jewish person where pigs are unclean, that's a pretty insulting place to end up doing your work. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. No one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I'll arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And then he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But his father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this is my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field and he heard music and dancing and he called on the servants and asked what, are, what these things meant. And he said to him, and, and the servant said to him, your brothers come, your father's killed the fatted calf because he received him back safe and sound, but he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. 
But he answered his father, look, these many years I've served you and I have never disobeyed your command and you never gave me even a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And the father said to him, son, you're always with me and all that's mine is yours. It is fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this, your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Father, help us today to know you better. To be loved by you and to love you more. In Jesus' name, amen. If you've grown up in church, we've got a name for this story. Yes? What is it called? The prodigal son. This is not a story about a son who ran away. This is not even a story about a man who stayed home and was bitter at his dad. This is mostly an account, a story, a lesson about the faithfulness of God. We have this funny habit when we read scripture to make it all about us. And sometimes in doing so, we take the focus off of the God who it's all supposed to reveal in the first place. Certainly, there's a, a thread of the, of the prodigal. Certainly, there's a thread of the younger son, a thread of the older son, and I'm going to speak about both of them today. But primarily, first and foremost, what I want us to recognize today is not that we're wayward. I want us to recognize that in the midst of our waywardness, the father remains faithful to his purpose, to his plan, to his love. And when we understand that the Father's faithful, when we understand that it's the Father's love that sustains us and protects us and cares for us, then I think we find that we're far less willing and far less likely to stray in either direction. I titled the message Undignified, not because the sons were undignified, but because of, at every point of the son's failure, the father was even more undignified to hide the shame of his sons. And that's what I want to highlight today is how far the father went to cover the shame of his sons, to reveal his love to them and to us today. It starts with the son walking up to the father, the younger son. So the inheritance is something that you receive so that you could, you could keep the land. Land was very, very valuable. It was unlike anything that we have today. It was passed down from generation to generation. Your wealth was known by your land. We're kind of like that. But, so, but they passed it down and so that they would have an inheritance. They would have security. They would have provision for, for generations. It was a generational legacy kind of thing. It wasn't something that you sold and decided to move. If, if you lived in Centerville and you're like, oh, I'm going to move to Sterling. It wasn't, it wasn't that lighthearted. It wasn't that easy. You know, we're like, but I like my grocery store. And it's not about, it's not about those simple lower level comforts. It's about uh, provision and sustenance for generations, right? You got that? And he comes to him and he's like, dad, I don't want to wait till you die to get what's coming to me. I don't really want relationship with you. I don't want to live here in this house. I want the stuff that's coming to me. You know, sometimes we approach God with the same attitude. I just want the stuff. Give me a house. Give me a better car. Give me more things. I want that relationship. Give me the promotion. Right? And we get all crazy about the stuff and, and we forget about the relationship with the father. The son's like, I kind of 
don't feel like waiting till you die. I'd like it now. Because you seem kind of healthy. You know, I'm young. I got life to live. You know how it is, Dad. Just get out the way. Now, in order for his dad to divide the property and give the inheritance to the son, when you've got a large plot of property in a society that values land, you don't do that secretly. He didn't find a buyer on Craigslist and say, hey, keep this on the DL. We'll just leave the things about the same. Don't change it. Everybody would have known that this man's son had asked for his inheritance and he was selling property to give it to him. The son's question was completely undignified. The father's response was even more ridiculous. The father, the son presumed, the father permitted. He's like, I hear what your heart is. Your heart is so far from me. But he allowed him to do this. And he says, okay, I'm going to do it. But mine is going to be more obvious and bigger and broader than yours, than yours is. My indignity is going to be bigger than yours was so that yours isn't remembered, but mine is. So the son takes off and he parties. He just goes crazy. The older son summarizes it by saying he squandered it on prostitutes. He was living in Vegas. He was living outside of Vegas after he ran out of money. He, wherever your party place is, right? He, he went and he was going crazy using drugs. You know, that's not in the passage, but, you know, eating some wild leaves, you know, whatever they did for a party then, getting drunk, party. He was going crazy. He went nuts. He had this inheritance and he squandered the whole thing. And normally that's what we talk about, right? How messed up the son was and how great it was that he came back because we all identify really strongly with the son and we're like, I like to party a little bit and I know I'm going to come back sometime. Or we use it as a plan. We hear this and we're like, well, the younger son did it and he got welcome back, so that's what I'm going to do. If you're in high school or college and you're still in here and you're not in another meeting, I want to let you know that that doesn't have to be your path. That's not the better path to run off and squander and then and be welcomed back. You can decide. You can choose. You can plant yourself and say, I'm not going to run. I'm going to stay right here. I'm going to trust the older people that have gone and done it and told me it was terrible that it really was terrible. I'm going to protect my heart for my, for my future spouse. I'm going to protect my heart for my future kids. I'm going to protect my heart for my future self. So that doesn't have to be the path, but it's the path that he took. So the son partied. The father persisted. And we know that because when the son was, was, I'm getting a little bit ahead, but when the son was coming back, the father saw him at a distance. And I believe that the father sat there every day as word was coming back. Your son is losing his mind. It was in the tabloids. People were talking about him. They were like, oh, he, you know, he's on that boat. Look at all these pictures we took of him. Creative license. <laughs> and the fathers, the fathers persisted in waiting for his son, knowing that his son was going to come back, looking for his son, anxiously hoping for his son, waiting and longing for his son to come around the corner so that he could love on him. Hoping that his son would survive. While everybody else was enjoying the train wreck, the father was longing for his son to be restored. You know, we've got this sick uh, enjoyment in our culture with people who are train wrecking their lives. A famous athlete got pulled over for a DUI just a few weeks ago because he had some drugs in his system or something. And everybody's talking about how, how ridiculous and how awful it is that he would do such a thing. I heard very little care for the fact that this man had fallen so far that that's where he is. 
What's going through his heart and mind? As he's by himself and he fell from so high to so low. Not a lot of concern for that. So as all the townspeople would talk, oh, you know his son. You know what I heard about his son? I'll tell you what I heard about his son. You know, he's, doing, he's, he's over there doing that. I heard he lost all his money. I heard he's feeding pigs. I heard he got, he got a job feeding pigs. How ridiculous. The father persisted. The son ran out of everything and, and he's like, wait a second. I had so much back home. What was I thinking? And so the son, he starts rehearsing in his mind. He's like, even the servants are better off than me. I'm going to go back and I'm going to tell my dad, hire me as a servant. And that'll, hire me as a servant and and I'll, and I'll, I'll, I'll at least be able to eat. I'll be able to be close. I'll be able to see my dad. I'll be able to work the field that's so familiar to me that I, that I long for so deeply that I miss so much. I'll at least be able to be around him even if he doesn't accept me into his home. At least I can be near and experience some closeness. Now a servant then is different than a slave. A slave would have lived on the property. The son's like, I probably can't get that. So I'm going to ask for the servant role so I can at least have a little bit so I can eat and then I'm going to have to go live somewhere else. But to be able to visit my father's house would be extraordinary. Maybe my dad would let me do that. Maybe he'd let me get that close. And so the son's rehearsing his speech and rehearsing his speech, but his father was making a different kind of preparation. His father was saying, when my son comes home, Oh, when my son comes home, I'm going to welcome him. When my son comes home, we're going to throw a party. When my son gets back, I'm going to let everybody know that it's still my son. And so the son starts coming back. He decides, I'm I'm going for it. And as he comes over the crest of the hill, like I talked about, the father sees him. And the father, now now this is where everybody would have talked. Is that his son? I heard his son came back. I heard his son limped. I heard he was really skinny. I heard he was sick. I heard he was, I heard his clothes were torn and that he didn't have anything and that he had bruises all over his body. I heard he was disgusting. I heard he came back as an addict. I heard that he came back after some jail time. I heard that he, I heard that he's running from someone. I heard that he had some bad relationships and that he's got a child out of wedlock when he was gone. I heard that he's pregnant. Well, not, you know, (laughs) maybe not him. You get it, right? What are the things that we're afraid that people are going to say about us if we stray and we're afraid to come back? What are those things that we judged other people for doing while they were away from Christ before they came back? The son is cresting the hill. I scared out of his mind. His Fitbit tracker was like a thousand beats a second. You know, and he's like, oh, I got to slow down. My heart's going. And the father sees him. He goes, oh, I'll one up you, son. Now, a man in that time wouldn't run. Oh, a man, he would walk slow. The more important you are, the slower you walk. You know, with a certain swagger, you know, you just kind of like, I can't do it. I don't have it. Uh, but, but he would walk with this swagger and everybody go, that is a man of authority. And he's got people who do his bidding. That's a man who doesn't do anything on his own. His hands aren't calloused. Everybody else is around him. Their hands are calloused. This man has people who fight for him. He's got people who farm for him. He's got, people, he's got somebody cutting his steak. <laughs> From the sacrifice. <laughs> this man was a man of dignity and respect, but he sees his son coming over the corner. He goes, oh, people want to talk? People going to talk? I'll give them something to talk about. And he takes off towards his son. 
takes off, you know, pulling up his garments, you know, like running. You know, it's not like jeans and running shorts. It's not like he was laced up. I mean, this guy, he was hoping his son was going to come back, but you still dress the way you dress, right? So he hikes up all his clothes and he sprints out into the field to meet us. What is he doing? Has he lost his mind? And the father's like, I'm going to make sure that I'm the story here. I'm going to make sure my, I'm the story. People are going to talk about what I did. Acting a fool for my son. So he tears off and he's running and hiking up his clothes. Running, stumbling, gasping for air. He gets to his son and his son is getting ready to do this speech that he had, you know, he had prepared for, for this entire walk back. All sick, all, all hurting, all hungry, ready to give this speech. And his father embraces him and kisses him. And he's like, shut up, son. I'm not even going to let you speak. I love you. I love you. See, he didn't want people to be able to think that the father did something, or like the son said the right thing. Oh, his son must have said the right thing, because you know everybody's watching this. He didn't give his son an opportunity to speak because it had nothing to do with what the son was going to say. The father was just happy that he was there. He knew by the son's humble condition that he was low. He knew his son was beaten down. He knew his son took courageous steps to come back and was just happy to have him home. Don't say a word. I love you. Hugs him. Kisses him. The son in this humble, prostrated position. The father decides not only just to accept him there, but to prop him up. So the son's like, look, I messed up. Give me the lowest amount of access that I can have. And the father says, no, no. Send for the best robe. Give him a ring. Put new sandals on his feet. I don't want there to be any distinction between this son and the son who stayed the whole time. There will be no distinction between my son who ran away and is finally back, my son who is on the verge of death and is finally here, and myself and my, and my household. You are a part of the household. You will look like the household, and nobody will be able to say anything about how you appear because I'm going to clothe you in righteousness. Here's your robe. Here's your ring. Here are your feet. It doesn't matter where you've been because we're going somewhere new. That's the sandals. The ring is symbolic in a whole lot of different ways. If it was a signet ring, it was the family crest, and it's something you would seal things with. And he's saying, son, you're my son. You belong here. There's a place for you. There's something for you. And then, and then the robe is, is obviously to cover the, the outward clothing, and that, and that would have been the most distinguishing thing about his appearance because he was feeding pigs, and he got hungry, and he was in famine. And the father's like, let's put him in the best. So he shows up, and the father puts him in the best. father presented his son with dignity. There would be a time for the son to unlearn everything that he had learned out in the wilderness. There would be a time where he was going to have to, his soul was going to have to get rearranged, some memories that would need healing, physical things that would need healing. That wasn't the time for it. This was the time to celebrate. The father knew, hey, he's going to stick around and we're going to get him whole. We're going to get him healthy. 
We're going to take care of them. We're going to be all right. And it's going to be a process. And I'm up for that fight. I'm up to that task to care for my son. So the father and son party together. <laughs> Just party. This is a rocking party. The son heard it out in the field. Like, I don't know what it is about these biblical parties. <laughs> Jesus turning water into wine. You know, this party is so like rowdy that the son is far enough away that he still doesn't quite know what's happening, but he hears the party and the dancing. Or, that's a big deal. That's a good party. I'm saying, church, there's a place for it. People were coming. You kill the, cat, the fatted calf. That's a big dollar thing. I mean, this wasn't like, this was like throwing up, this is like renting out Morton's, basically. They rented out all of Morton's. It wasn't a table. They got the whole, the whole thing. And they killed the fatted calf and the neighbors find out, oh, he ran out to meet him. Let's go see what this show is about. That's the son. Did you hear what he did? Yeah. But did you hear what the father did? This father ran out to meet this son who dragged his name through the mud. That father has no sense. Kind of peeking, trying to figure out what the big deal is, get a glimpse of the kid who returned and a glimpse of the father. Has he lost his mind? Does he realize what his son did and who his son is? And right when you think it's all over, there's more. If you recall, there's an older brother who'd done everything right. He had stayed home the whole time. He had served, in his, he'd served his father's land faithfully. And he refuses to go into the party. Bait for everybody at the party. So there's the younger son who messed everything up. There's the father who's lost his mind. Where's the other son? Oh, he's out in the field. He's mad. He ain't coming in. Let's talk about how mad he is. I'd be mad too if my brother went and squandered all the things and came back and got a robe and a sandals and the, the ring, got all this fatted calf. He didn't even get a goat. I bet, you know, I, we've never had a party. He's never had us over for a party. Not even his birthday. Never celebrated with him once. Bar mitzvah, that was it. It was like that, and we just moved on. There was like nothing else. No celebration, never does anything for them. And, and so, you know, and, and he's out in the field, and he's feeling very much the same way. And the father's like, uh-oh, I see another problem. Now this son's looking pretty undignified. Let me just go ahead and take the bullet here too. The father wasn't troubled by his own humiliation. And so he goes out to plead with his son and to beg him to come in and celebrate the miracle that occurred. Pleads with him, begs him. Come on, son. I know you're hurt. You know, the father doesn't address the hurt in the, in the conversation. I know you're hurt. Well, your, your reasoning's off or anything else. He's like, look, you, what's yours is yours. You've got yours. But your brother, he's living. Now, the, the brother has this problem. Hey, hey, who is it that you would be mad if they got saved? <laughs> who have you not invited to church because you don't want them to meet Jesus? <laughs> I say it with a smile just to ease the pain. Because when we really think about it, that is dark and perverted. 
that we would rather not invite somebody to church because we think that they need what they've got coming to them? This part of the story is for us who have felt that way. What sin is it that's unforgivable to you that's actually forgivable to the Father? What indignity or injustice can you not handle that the Father is willing to forgive and pour out his grace? He runs out and he pleads with them, pleads with his son again. Please come in. You know, what's tough about this account is that we have no idea what the older brother decided to do. So in the story, the, the younger brother is the tax collector, the sinner, who wasn't worthy of salvation. And the Pharisees and the scribes are the older brother who thought that being good enough made them worthy of salvation. when your sin is that you've squandered everything or your sin that you your sin is that you've earned you feel like you've earned everything that you have the solution is the same and that's to return to the father the way that we return to the father is not by is not by running all the way back by our own effort or making ourselves right or fixing all the problems the way that the father's made for us to get back to him is because Jesus hung on a cross and died the most undignified death possible so that we could have a life that we don't deserve. The wages of sin is death. Again, whether your sin is that you've run so far from God or your sin is that you think you've stayed so close that you somehow deserve higher standing in Him. Sin is sin and needs to be paid for and Jesus took the fullness of that sin on the cross. He died in an undignified manner. The, the, the crucifixion is, we talk about it every Good Friday, but it's, it's the most gruesome of deaths, the most painful of deaths, the most, most humiliating of deaths, deaths. The Romans would only rarely even kill a Roman person by crucifixion because it was so brutal that it was, it was, it was, it was set aside. They, didn't, they wouldn't kill a Roman citizen with crucifixion because it was so gruesome which makes it worse than anything of a kind of death penalty that we would have. So however, we wouldn't kill someone. That's how they killed them. He was undignified. His beard was stripped. He was spat on. He was mocked. He was humiliated. He was stripped naked. He was whipped nearly to the point of death so that the indignity of his death would cover the sin of our lives. How is this a Father's Day message? Because he's the greatest father who covers our iniquity. He who became, who he who knew no sin became sin so that we could have eternal life. Being a father is not about how smart you are, how well you throw a ball, how well you shoot a gun, how big you can make a fire. Those are all really good things to do. It's about showing our children, 
our wives, sisters, mothers, fathers, brothers, showing heaven and hell a reflection of the love of the Father through you and me. Through persistence, through passionate love, through protecting our families, by providing for our families, by covering the sins of our children, by welcoming them home, by making them, by helping them put it back together again. The only way we'll do that is if we first behold the love of the Father. Because without first beholding the love of the Father as shown in this passage, we'll make up our own version of what love is. And we'll make up our own ideas about what it means to love or how to love our, our children effectively. My challenge, my encouragement to you today is behold the love of our Father who perseveres, who's patient and kind, who props us up, who provides for us and covers us. Amen. Father, we love you. and We acknowledge you. This morning we recognize your love. We thank you that you welcome us to yourself and that your son died the most undignified death so that we could be propped up into eternal life. If there's anybody here this morning and you're you're the prodigal, you've been running, you might still be living in Vegas. But you know it's time to come home. Can you raise your hand? I want to I pray with you. See that hand? It's great. If you raised your hand, pray with me. Father, I'm sorry. I'm coming home. Help me to turn away from everything that is that grieves your spirit, that grieves you. Turn from the things that I know to be sin and receive your forgiveness. Help me to walk with you all the days of my life so that I can live a life that glorifies you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now for the older brother. If anybody here this morning, you've been the older brother and you need to, you need to repent. You're like, man, I've been, I have propped myself up in this position and you want to repent. Can you raise your hand? 